rolling. Welcome to another episode of the Propaganda Report. This is Monica Perez here with Brad Binkley. How are you doing, Binkley? I'm good. How are you? I'm well and good. And uh, I am interested in the latest on the uh, continuing saga of the Las Vegas shooting, in particular, the elusive Jesus Campos. Jesus showed up on the Ellen DeGeneres show yesterday, and I'm going to tell you about it, but I do want to tell you, I just see there's some breaking news, actually, that there's a shooting going on in Maryland right now. What's the story? Three people were killed, two others wounded. It happened at Edmonton Business Park in Edgewood, 30 miles outside of Northwood, and the police have identified 37-year-old Radhi Labib Prince as the shooter, and he is believed to be still at large. So that just happened a little while ago. So I just have to point out <clears throat> that if you look at, I, I mentioned this in one of the previous shows, you look at this huge, uh, I, I, I have to pull the graphic. It was in the Wall Street Journal like a week ago. It just showed this timeline of decades with circles, the size of which how many people died. Like, so the more people, the bigger the circle. And it shows like very few circles in our history. And then since 2010, halfway through Obama's first term, there's just the circles are all overlapping and clustered and getting bigger, 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 bigger. Okay. And I just have to take this opportunity to once again, ask the question, why? Why is this stuff happening more often? Is there some reason that we have uh, a change in people's mental state, in their desire to do this? Why here and not other countries? It started really surging with Bush, and then it just went off the charts with Obama. And there's just no reason for it. There's no, there's no reason for it. They, nobody even offers a reason for it. Now, yes, okay, I guess what you would say now is this, well, we have neo-Nazis now, and we have terrorists now. I don't understand why we have that stuff now, but like it, it didn't start out that way. Like the Aurora thing wasn't about terrorism or neo-Nazi, whatever. Even I think what launched kind of this era was the Virginia Tech shooting, maybe, uh, of what looks like to be false flags. But yeah. they didn't have that argument before. It's just, it just seems to me, I'm I'm being rhetorical or whatever, but I, it's clear to me these are false flags designed to um, make an impact on policy. I mean, it's, I believe that these things are uh, orchestrated and even the reporting is another level of manipulation. So whatever the event is, I don't know. I think it's orchestrated. And then you've got the reporting, which is also manipulated and it's all for that. And it's happening now. It's coming to a head. I don't think there's a natural explanation for why this these things are happening more and more often. It's just the strategy of tension. Yeah, so when you say false flag, do you mean like this one in Vegas? It, it was real, but it was caused by a government. Yes, I will. Yes, I will distinguish between a false flag and a hoax. Uh, I guess a hoax, in my opinion, would be a subset of the false flag. But the false flag is uh, is absolutely. I, I think Nero, the expression. Nero fiddled while Rome burned is a, is a me, is a, was supposed to be a uh, a way of saying that that was a false flag that Nero himself wasn't agitated at all by the burning of Rome because he burned it himself and like the Reichstag fire is a, a famous false flag the Maine the Lusitania these are all false flags um, Tonkin was a hoax Gulf of Tonkin incident was a hoax not a you know, but I consider it to be a false flag. False flag just means you you create a an event, you know, an act of violence usually with the flag of your enemy flying over the helm so that your people think that the enemy has attacked and then they, that justifies your retaliation for a war that your people would not have gone along with. I consider them all ways that your government manipulates you into a policy or a war or whatever that you wouldn't otherwise want. So when Rahm Emanuel says, never let a good crisis go to waste, by that I mean uh, use it as an opportunity to do something you could not otherwise get done. 
you've pointed out that Edward Bernays says, hey, and if you don't have a good crisis, make one happen. Yeah. But the reason I think distinguishing between a false flag and a hoax is important in this case is an insight I shared with you one of these last podcasts that I there's always a lot of evidence or weird videos that make these mass shootings arguably seem like a hoax. So like when Robbie Parker had made himself cry for a press conference after supposedly just losing his daughter at Sandy Hook. And when guys are coming out of the Orlando shooting, and then as soon as they think they're off camera, they're walking normally instead of limping as if they're hurt. So I always wondered why that kind of video was still allowed to be kind of out there on YouTube when there is video that I've looked for before that's clearly been scrubbed. So they have control over that stuff. They use it sometimes, but they don't use it to completely deny hoaxes. And my conclusion is, or I'm starting to think after the Vegas thing, that it's actually easier to keep people in line who don't believe the official narrative if they think no one's actually getting killed. And so the hoax theme, whether some of them are hoaxes to make it look like they're all hoaxes or some of them, uh, or they just always plant like weird hoax stuff in there. Akamai Tree, a blog made, uh, Corey's blog made a really good article about that, about like how weird the hoax thing is. Anyway, so now I actually am kind of coming back around and saying, you have to figure some some innocent people are dying. Usually I, I would always, it was clear the Patsy always died. They always leak a picture of the dead Patsy. That is one dead body you will always see. Tamerlan Sarnayev, even Jahar Sarnayev, who I think has been dead for a long time. There was a leaked picture of him dead, even though the official narrative was that he was still alive. And And you can't help but see a picture of Stephen Paddock dead with his head blown off. Like, I don't understand what the point of that is, but there's some of that's bubbled up again this week. But, but the big thing with Jesus Campos was that he disappeared and then he reemerged on the Ellen show. And uh, I just finished watching that interview, which was kind of weird. What, 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 what else? Am I missing something about the latest on Jesus Campos or what did you think about that? Ellen? I have a couple thoughts about the Ellen interview and I want to play a couple clips. Should we reset who Jesus Campos is? Jesus Campos is the security guard who was working at the Mandolin Bay Hotel on the night of the Las Vegas shooting. And he was the guy who got shot, who apparently Stephen Paddock, this is a story, fired 200 rounds through the door and shot Jesus Campos in the leg before he started shooting on the crowd. And there's been a lot of confusion about the timeline, and he then he disappeared for a little while. He canceled a whole bunch of interviews. Nobody could nobody could find him. And then suddenly, he did this Ellen interview, kind of out of nowhere. The interview was with this Jesus Campos, and the yeah. engineer he called about the blocked door. Who I will say, while I was watching it, the engineer. Did you notice he kept rubbing his back? Yeah, that's one thing I want to point out. We're going to watch it. Oh, sorry. Okay. And, yeah. There's there's a lot of things in there that are really strange. Ellen did that to him too. She kept rubbing him like he was needed to be like he was a very fragile individual. And he was sweating on his brow. He kept wiping the sweat off his brow. Yeah, it, and it absolutely felt to me like this guy was uh, had remembered. He was he was reciting something like a script, or do you mean that he was recalling what actually happened? No, I feel like it was scripted. I feel like it was definitely scripted as well. But let's play it and talk. Yeah. About it. If you're listening to the audio podcast and you want to see this interview, go to PropagandaReportDaily.com, click on the show notes for this show, and we will include the full interview in the show notes. And if you want to see our breakdowns of the behavioral cues, go to our YouTube page, Minor Monica's. My YouTube page is YouTube.com slash Brad Binkley, and hers is YouTube.com slash Monica Perez. All right, here's the first clip. Okay, so you were going up the fire escape to get there? I was in the stairwell. From, mm -hmm. I was coming from the 31st up to the 32nd. Right. Uh, when I approached the door, uh, it didn't open. And All right, I'm going to take that back a second. You see where his eyebrows are right there? How it's squinted down like he's uncertain or confused? Mm -hmm. Okay, so that is not an expression that someone who's confident in an answer they're giving makes. So for whatever reason, he doesn't appear to be very confident in what he's saying at this moment. You see his lip right there? How right after he squints his eyes, he licks his lips in response to this question? 
my glasses on. Yeah, he's got a little tongue sticking out. That's also a signal of anxiety. Our mouths get dry when we sense a threat because it sends all our resources elsewhere. It's a fight-or-flight response. It doesn't necessarily mean he's lying, but it does signal that he's likely not feeling very confident and that he's likely feeling some sort of anxiety or sensing some sort of threat. When you start to see multiple signals like this, you want to pay attention to what's triggering them, and you want to further investigate. If you look at his hands, too, he's wringing his hands throughout most of the conversation. The door, uh, it didn't open, and it, it was blocked off, so I had to reroute. Um, I, Is that a normal thing, that the door at the fire escape, or the stairwell would be blocked off? No, they're always supposed to remain open. Right. And so um, after I would drop down and then came back through the hallway, uh, and then I approached the room, got in to the door. Yeah, there's that weird pat. That's, that's, to me, that's almost like you're doing good. Oh, of course. Yeah, he did it several times. He's patting the guy on the back like, yeah, you're good, right? That was right. That was that was right. You know, that's what that pat says when the skinny guy pats him on the back. Uh, there was a metal bracket holding the door in place. Right. So what we're talking about here. All right, I'm going to stop it right there. As you pointed out off air, Ellen says, right, as though she knows the story, as though she knows what's coming next. And that's because she does. This is a very tightly scripted interview. This quote-unquote engineer and Ellen are essentially his handlers here, guiding him step-by-step through this process. Ellen literally directs this entire interview step-by-step. Jesus Campos doesn't actually provide the information. Ellen provides the information, and Jesus simply affirms it along the way. And this is exactly why he came on The Ellen Show instead of one of those other shows because Ellen was going to stick to the script that the FBI or whoever handed her, and she was going to provide a nice, easy, non-threatening interview, something I guess they couldn't trust Hannity or one of those other networks to do. But her pulling out this chart here, this image, which is like what a, an architect's blueprint of the hotel, the police haven't even provided anything like this, yet Ellen DeGeneres has this detailed outline. This I have seen that picture. Oh, you have seen that? I have seen that. It had a body on the floor when I saw it. Oh, really? And I, yes, you know, but it was like that drawing thing. Where did yeah. I see that? I don't know, but that I definitely saw that once already. It just seems to me that Ellen has more specifics about what actually happened than Sheriff Lombardo has. Yes, actually, I'll tell you, hers had like the 3D stairway. Hers is better than the one I had originally seen. So we can't get this kind of information from Sheriff Lombardo at a press conference, but we come to the Ellen DeGeneres show and we can find out this information. Is where the, the hotel room was, where the shooter was. This is the stairway, where, and this door here was blocked, and you didn't know that till you came up in the, in, through the elevator. And Okay, so Ellen takes charge here and says he came up the elevator. He didn't say that. He, oh, he well, said he but came he up did the, say he went down, had to go back downstairs because he couldn't get through that door. Right, but he didn't actually say elevator. That was Ellen's word. He said that he had to reroute and that he dropped down and came back through the hallway. That's not that specific. Does that mean he found an elevator and came up that way? Possibly. Probably. But I don't know about the Mandolin Bay Hotel, but most hotels that I've been to have stairway door entrances on both sides. Is it possible that he came into the entrance on the other side? I don't know. The point is that he didn't provide that specific piece of information. That was Ellen taking charge and clarifying. Oh, yeah, you're right. She clearly knew absolutely where the elevator was and that he came up it. Exactly. Ellen knows the entire script. And the thing to notice here, because it happens over and over again throughout the interview, is that Jesus doesn't really provide us with the specific information. Ellen does. She's directing this thing step by step, micromanaging it even. She's providing us with the specific information, and Jesus is just kind of affirming it along the way, which kind of makes you wonder whose account of the story are we getting here? Is where the, the hotel room was, where the shooter was. This is the stairway, where, and this door here was blocked, and you didn't know that till you came up in the, in, through the elevator and saw that there was something blocking that door. And, and when you saw that, did you think that's weird. Why would somebody put brackets on a door? Yeah, that was, that's just uh, out of the ordinary. It's that was the beginning. Normal. Yeah. Okay. And then you walk out of this, and this just slammed? Um, well, when I was in between that area, I was calling uh, security dispatch to get transferred to engineering. Uh, they didn't know anything about it, so uh, they dispatched an engineer to uh, go uh, verify what that was. Um, that's when you got called? Yes. Okay. All right. Now you I see how he did his hand, right? Did you see that? I didn't catch it. First, Ellen goes, that's when you got called. She's directing the show here. But yeah. Watch. I'm going to take it back a couple seconds. Watch. Okay. As Ellen says that, watch Jesus' right hand. 
clarify what that was. Um, That's when you got called. Yes. Okay. Did you see that gesture he made with his right finger? That's the gesture somebody makes when they just realized that they were supposed to do something, but they forgot. Oh, right. He was continuing to talk. Ellen interrupts him. Ellen cues the other guy, the engineer, whatever he is, and Jesus goes, oh, right. He said that with his finger. I was supposed to say that's when I saw the engineer, and that's when I warned him to duck or to take cover. That is what that – that's what he communicated with that little finger movement right there. Here it is again. Clarify what that was. Um, that's when you got called. Yes. Okay. Wow. Time I heard uh, what I assumed it was drilling sounds. And I, I believe that they were in the area working somehow. So you thought the drilling, they were gunshots, but you thought... Yeah, he licked his lips somehow. again. So you thought the drilling, they were... But they weren't gunshots. I thought he was there before the gunshots. I assumed it was drilling sounds. And I, I believe that they were in the area working somehow. So you thought the drilling, they were gunshots, but you thought... It was just drilling sounds. At first, uh, I think it was just drilling sounds. Right. Whoa, you're right. I totally missed that. He hasn't told the part about when he got shot yet. He's about to tell it, and it's after this. So based on what he just said, this version of the story contradicts the most recent version of the story we got from Lombardo. Unbelievable. How does Ellen not clear up the confusion here? This is a really tightly scripted interview, and they were well aware that people were confused by the conflicting stories about whether or not Campos arrived to the 32nd floor before or after the shooting began. She only seems to add to the confusion. It wasn't even Campos that said that they were gunshots. Campos was saying that he heard what sounded like drilling, and Ellen jumps in and says, but they were gunshots. I mean, she only adds to the confusion. This gives more credence to your theory that they are just trying to confuse us. It does. And do you – are we going to hear what the skinny guy says about that? Because I found that interesting as well. I did not cut the part of the skinny guy. Can I just tell you what he says about that? Yeah. He said he thought it was a jackhammer, yeah. but we'd never be doing that kind of work at this hour. And I would just like to – I do, do you use a jackhammer on the 32nd floor of a fully constructed hotel ever? Yeah, all the time. You tell me you never seen a hotel maintenance worker fixing a loose door with a jackhammer? <laughs> Be the jackhammer for the brackets on the fire escape. Jeez, yeah. Something else that doesn't feel right about this interview is that these guys are really super subdued for two people who have gone through such an emotional experience. I mean, the one guy, Jesus, seems to be experiencing some anxiety, but that's because of this interview situation. Neither one of them shows any emotion when they're recounting the story the other guy he seems to be completely emotionless he's done this in other interviews as well and i'll tell you when i have experiences like that when i've had intense experiences it's really the emotions that stick with you so you describe well for me maybe it's a female male thing um but i find that you you would describe the emotions i was really terrified i thought i was going to die but the only thing I could think of was to take cover, Yeah, you know, and do you get to the part? I think we already passed the part where he made the call. He said he called or did he not say that yet? No, he's about to say that. He's about to say okay. So then at what point did you get shot? What happens here? Um, as that door is closing and it's so heavy, uh, it'll, it'll slam. I'm walking down this way and I believe that's what, um, caught, uh, the shooter's attention. Um, as I was walking down, um, I heard Hold on. rapid fire. Isn't the story and that that guy put cameras all in the hallway? There was a cart, a food cart outside his door that supposedly had wires on it and a camera attached to it. Okay, so and, had- and when you stay at hotels like that, just so you know, there are housekeeping all the time going through. When you have food out there, they come get it. You're not going to put a camera in a food cart. They're going to come get the food cart as soon as they see it. Somebody's going to see it pretty quickly. They probably have cameras. Yeah. Now he could have just – the argument could be he just put it out there. Yeah. It could be, but the narrative has been that what caught the shooter's attention was that he had wired the hallway with cameras, plural, and was monitoring them, and that's how he saw this guy there. Now, this guy just introduced the suggestion that it was the slamming door that got the guy's attention. I'm just saying that right, – right. and he doesn't say anything about seeing cameras. And if you look at some of the earlier 
discussions of this, they show cameras in two places. Yeah, it is in the hall. He doesn't say anything about the cameras because he doesn't mention. So Ellen's Ellen's blueprint, which reminded me of the last one I saw. The last one I saw had the body and it had the cameras. Oh, really? Yeah. I could see it being where the guy was paying attention to the crowd or whatever. He hears the door slam. He turns around and looks, and he sees through his camera. That could be a counter argument, but totally fine. But no... this guy doesn't say anything about seeing cameras in the hallway. Yeah, so that's odd. He doesn't say anything about seeing anything in front of this door either. Right. Which the other officers during the sixty minutes interview they talk about how they saw that cart out in front of the door and how it looked like it had wires out uh, on it. And, how it was... and that's not in her little blueprint either. I don't remember if I saw that previously. They don't bring, they don't bring that up at all during this interview. At first, I, I took cover. I felt a burning sensation. I went to go lift my pant leg up, and I saw the blood. That's when I called it in on my radio that shots have been fired. And I was going to say that I was hit. But I uh, got all over my cell phone just to clear that radio traffic for they can coordinate uh, the, the rest of the call. Okay. He – so there, there's – I didn't hear it, but supposedly like some of the audio of this back and forth is coming out or has come out. He just said, I got shot, but I didn't tell them because I didn't want to waste airtime. That's not believable. And that was him kind of – so I'm not sure this guy got shot now because – He's trying to explain why his radio call to headquarters had nothing to do with him getting shot. Yeah. I don't believe that he was shot and then didn't say he was shot to save airtime. That is a three-part series that is – I do not believe. Yeah, it doesn't make much sense to me either. There's a couple of other odd things here as well. According to the story and Ellen's blueprint – Jesus walked right up next to the shooter's door, trying to open that stairwell door that was drilled shut. While he was there, he heard these loud drilling sounds, which you can only think that he could tell that they were coming from inside the room that he was standing directly next to. I mean, we heard how loud those gunshots sounded on the various videos that are out there. Can you imagine how deafening that drilling sound that he heard must have been right up next to the door? Yet, as a security guard, he doesn't knock on the door. If he still thinks that they're just drilling sounds and doesn't think that they're gunshots, he doesn't knock on the door. I mean, if he thinks they're gunshots, of course he's not going to knock on the door. But if he thinks it's a drilling sound, then wouldn't he investigate? Instead, they send an engineer to come investigate. Jesus then turns around and walks the opposite way down the hallway away from the door and yet the shooter shoots him? Why does he shoot him if he's leaving? I guess maybe he's trying to prevent him from calling other people. He didn't realize he'd already called an engineer up there. I don't know. It just doesn't make sense what they're explaining. Oh, yeah. And the story was that the guy fired 200 rounds through those double doors. But when you look at the picture of the doors, there's one door that's missing. So that after crime scene photos, there's one door that's missing, and the other door is intact and undamaged. So the story supposedly now is that he shot 200 rounds through one of the doors only, and this guy just got a uh, a mere flesh wound. Yeah. He also said he didn't notice it until he looked down and saw himself bleeding, which I, I guess in the heat of the moment that might very well be possible. I, I don't – Yeah, know. I heard that. I, I let that pass, but yeah, that seems a little weird. There was a female that uh... – came out and i told her to go back inside it wasn't safe i'm gonna play that for you again and notice how right before he says there's a female that came out he says uh and both of the guys jesus and the other guy turn their palms up towards their eyes at the same time almost in sync almost like they're reading notes off of their hand although that's not what i think it means i'll tell you what i think it means after there was a female that uh came out and I told her to go back inside. It wasn't safe. First of all, who is this woman? Has anybody interviewed her? And secondly, what are they looking at? I mean, it really does look like they're glancing down at notes, but they both did it at the same time, and both of their eyes diverted away when they talked about this girl. I'm going to read you a quick passage from a body language book called What Everybody is Saying. It's written by a former FBI agent who specialized in reading people's body language and detecting deception. It says, if a statement is made palms up, the individual is begging to be believed. I would find such a statement highly suspect. While this is not definitive, I would question any declarative statement made with the palms up. 
The palm up position is not very affirmative and suggests that the person is asking to be believed. The truthful don't have to plead to be believed. They make a statement and it stands. Like he said, it's not definitive and it depends on the context. No one cue is a definite determinant of whether or not somebody's lying. It's a cluster of behavioral cues, which I think we've seen a lot of them here. But it does suggest that the person's not very confident in what they are saying, which I think is clear in this case. All right, here's the last clip that I got. The most interesting part of it to me is Ellen's kind of summation that she gives at the end of this clip. Mm-hmm. Um, shortly after, that's when Stephen was approaching, and I told him to stay back and get cover, um, and that's when more rounds were dispersed. Right. Wow. So, and, and I mean, it, really, he saved your life, and he saved the, also the woman that that's came the, out of the, the door to, to go into the hallway. I know, first of all, you know, thank you so much for being here. And and I know that you've had so many people asking for you to tell the story and to talk about this. And I understand your reluctance because you just want this to be over. So you're talking about it now and then you're not going to talk about it again. And I don't blame you because why relive this over and over again? That's it. Never going to talk about it again. This was a one-time show directed by Ellen, where the star, Jesus Campos, struggled to remember his lines and neither him nor the other guy were really all that committed to what they were saying. I would have liked to have seen where he took cover when the shooter fired on him through the door. Ellen never pointed that out on her blueprint. That seems like a piece of information that she would have included in this story. I don't know what happened to Jesus Campos or the engineer, but what I do know is that they were given a script to follow. They were not told to go out and tell the truth. All right, now that we've seen that, and I know I'm talking your ear off. I know we're both on a time thing today. I don't want to get through these clips I want to play you a couple of clips of Sheriff Lombardo from one of his press conferences last week because after hearing this interview with Campos, they're really interesting. Mm-hmm. They haven't told us what really happened up there. Uh, I agree with that, and I want to know more about Sheriff Lombardo. The one, one thing I'll add from one of our last, last shows, like during the press conference he has behind him, I was speculating was an FBI agent slash handler akin yeah. to the one from San Bernardino and the LAX Aaron shooting. Rass. Right. His name is Aaron Rass. That's all I wanted to say is that I, I found his name. And um, But what's – so Sheriff Lombardo, I guess I was kind of checked out on the Bundy thing, the Clive and Bundy thing. It's when I was thinking about my kind of solidifying this this art of ambiguity that I've been noticing that you can't have – so from Zimmerman – to Bundy, uh, to a host of other ones, the the narrative doesn't set up a dialectic. So the story you're getting doesn't have conflict, two sides of conflict that you can see the right and wrong of both sides, depending on which side you're on. So if you're on one side of it, you see the right of your side and the wrong of the other side. And if you're on the other side of it, you see the right of your side and the wrong of the first side. That's an essential element of all these, I'm going to call psyops, psychological operations. Uh, the Zimmerman one, I mean, you could really argue both sides of that story. And the Bundy one too, because the ranch land he was talking about was federally owned land. So a libertarian who hates the government's going to hate that they're coming in and taking his land, but it is federal land. So how do you resolve that? It's ambiguous. And it's, it's such the hallmark of the Trump era so I check out on that stuff. Like I just, I, I just, I can't deal with it. So I kind of miss the stuff that Lombardo has been involved in. But you were, you were tweeting or telling me directly that he's he's a central figure in several of these high profile cases that have clear policy agendas. Yeah, he was a central figure in the the case you're just talking about, the Clive and Bundy ranch case. He was also a central figure in. The case from, I think it was December of 2014, when a woman plowed through a bunch of people, a bunch of pedestrians on the Las Vegas Strip. Oh, yeah, I remember that. In that case, the woman told him before she died why she did it, and he didn't tell the public why. Unless that's changed since then, I I hadn't followed up on that. But initially, he wouldn't tell the public what her motive was. He withheld that. And on top of that, the dude's been on the show Cops. Oh, interesting. So what's so what's the story with him? Is he like uh, rich now, or like do you do we know where where he came from or where he's going? 
He's been a cop in the Las Vegas area for like 25 years, and he ran for sheriff, and he won. Oh, and he's also a Republican. One of the reasons I looked into his background is because during these press conferences, he's been anxious, fidgety, angry, defensive, and people were kind of justifying his behavior as, oh, he's just a dumb sheriff who's never been in the spotlight before, never been under this kind of pressure. And I wanted to see if if that was true or if they were kind of explaining away something that might have another explanation. Being angry or nervous are two good ways to shut people down. Yeah, exactly. And based on his background, I don't think we can attribute that behavior to him being new to this type of situation. He's been involved in a high-profile case before. The Bundy Ranch case was high-profile. He's been on the television show Cops, so he's been in the spotlight. He held a forum talking about the show Cops the week before the shooting. No way. Yeah. And he's run for public office, so he's been scrutinized by the media. I'm sure he was scrutinized by the media when he was doing the Bundy Ranch thing too. And just being a, a, a sheriff in Las Vegas, you're going to face media scrutiny. So all of these explanations that are attributing his behavior to being new to this type of pressure situation, I just don't think that that's accurate. I wonder if they're going to have like a documentary about him because you know what I mean? Like, like they did for Anthony Weiner or whatever. I just saw an article about him where it was like your typical like personality development article. So it's written with really flowery terms like in the New Yorker or something. About Lombardo? Yeah. And when they start making – when the article is kind of literary, you know what I mean? Like written with a lot of imagery, it's not just a report. It's it's a creation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's watch some of these clips from Lombardo. This is not the last press conference. There was a press conference last Friday. I didn't get clips from that one because he didn't take any questions. This one's from last Wednesday. As you might imagine, Mr. Campos was not only injured when he was fired upon as he did his room check about the door alarm down the hall from the suspect's room, but he was also extremely shaken up by what happened to him. He was able to confirm for us exactly what he heard and saw in the moments before the he was shot. Okay, that right there. He was reading from a script. He looked up, and he was recalling from memory. So he was saying in the moments before that he realized he was supposed to stick to the script, and he went back down. I don't know what he was going to say right there, but that's a, that's a clear conflict between what's on the script and what was in his mind about what happened. Can you, can you replay that, just that 10 seconds? Yeah. He was able to confirm for us exactly what he heard and saw in the moments before the, he was shot. Before the shooting started, let's say. Exactly. Before the shooting started. I'm going to play it again, and this time I want you to pay attention to Aaron Rouse behind him. I, I don't think he was shot. That thought's crossed my mind as well. Okay, I'm going to play it again. This time, focus on how Aaron Rouse reacts. He was able to confirm for us exactly what he heard and saw in the moments before the he was shot. Wow. He noticed that? Yeah. Rouse just, as soon as he goes off script, Rouse's eyes just go down. Yep. Aaron Rouse has that thing memorized. Oh, yeah. You can see him as he's reading the script kind of going, yep, that's right. Mm -hmm." Yeah, like Ellen. Right, right. And occasionally he'll look out and glance to see if the audience is buying it. So, look, can we just take a step back for a second? Yeah. So this is all highly scripted, from Ellen to Aaron Rouse to Lombardo to Jesus Campos. I, I have my ideas of why it's, the, it's a media cluster, but the reality is this is a story that is being crafted as we go, which again, I will say, if, if people, if alleged perpetrators who are killed in the commission of a crime are still required by law to get a posthumous trial... They would not be able to get away with any of this stuff because there would have to be real facts coming out or they'd be in trouble for this guy dying if he were not found guilty. Uh, yeah. So they're making stuff up. So, so okay, I think there's a reason that it's so obvious and chaotic and blah 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 I think they're trying to create demand for a regulation of media because everyone knows that anarchy or chaos or whatever – uh, is that that government regulation is totally benign and doesn't affect an industry except for to make it better and and raise its standards and obviously that's what we need for the for the First Amendment to be truly effective. The media needs to have 
some <laughs> constraints. This is stuff I'm getting on Twitter from Trump supporters. So these are people who consider themselves Republicans, which historically was people who defended the Constitution, conservatives, people who liked our foundation. Uh, anyway, so I think that there's that element of all this nonsense. However, the nonsense element, the cast element, is actually a cover for the fact that they really are crafting this story bit by bit over time without regard to the truth. I mean, those two guys aren't having this little dance, and Ellen did not dance with those other guys because they want to get the unadulterated raw truth out in the most um, effective and coherent way. That's not what's happening here. Yeah, All this stuff is because it's not the truth. Right, and they were they put that Jesus guy on Ellen because – in my opinion, they didn't think he would be able to get the yeah. story out the way they wanted to. Totally on- agree. And she said, you're not going to go anywhere else. And it's totally understandable because you're a shy guy. You're a humble guy. But let me ask you, Binkley, what do you think this is all about? Why do you think they care so much about this narrative? Do you think it's going anywhere or what? What do you read into all this? Oh, I definitely agree that they're using this event as part of their campaign to silence any media that doesn't serve their narrative one of the first string of stories that came out after this event was reported was about all the fake news that rose to the top of Google and YouTube and whatever. And they're going to point to that as an example when they're calling for regulation, for more control over the internet, more control over these tech companies. They'll point to this and they'll say, look at these negative consequences of fake news, even though really hardly any facts have been actually reported on this story. And the mainstream media has reported plenty of stuff that has been found to be not true or not been proven yet. So anything they've reported can also be called fake news when it comes to this story. But they will still use this as a reason to call for more regulation and more control. I actually think they're working two angles with this story. I think they're trying to use this one to discredit anybody who doesn't serve their narrative, while simultaneously they're using the Harvey Weinstein story to bolster up their credibility because they don't have any credibility right now, so they need a win. So Harvey Weinstein gets thrown under the bus. He probably agreed to, and the next time somebody says, you're biased, you're covering up for this liberal, you're covering up for Hillary Clinton or whoever, they can say, no, we're not. We threw Harvey Weinstein under the bus, and he's a huge liberal. We're not biased. You can trust us. And they'll try to concentrate information into a small number of hands. And I, But I also think that there's a lot to this story that they just don't want to get out. That they're, yeah. The Weinstein thing, can I just say one – add one thing? Yeah. I, I think you're right about that. I also, though, have been noticing and actually made a like hashtag what to watch out for – which I said, crashing and burning is the new golden parachute. Like Roger Ailes allowed himself to be uh, to leave Fox in disgrace shortly before his death, which uh, I actually read a couple, a couple of articles that he knew he was going to die. And uh, O'Reilly also, he gets $15 million or whatever it was to walk away in amidst a scandal that had been had come and gone years ago already. And uh, here's Harvey Weinstein doing... I think he's consenting to this. I don't think they would touch him if he weren't okay with it. And I and I'm, I wonder if the reason he's the guy who was okay with it could be kind of like the Clippers thing where I think the wife leaked some really awful racist stuff uh, that the owner, I think his name was Silver, said and ended up, they ended up getting absolutely po- positively top dollar, I think an unprecedented amount for the Clippers and I feel like Weinstein, Weinstein's business uh, actually isn't as strong as people are saying, and that maybe he'll get more money for his business if he feel if they if people think that it's on the block because he's in disgrace, not that it's on the block because it's in free fall. So, so disgrace to me at this point for a lot of these people means absolutely nothing because they have no respect for us. They think of us as just absolute peons. And uh, so I, I think there's just kind of multitasking going on here. But but there is a reason that they they want to craft a certain narrative here. I, I, I would say it's the media. And, of course, there's always the gun thing. Uh, who knows what else? Maybe we'll find out over time. Yeah. And the Weinstein thing, I think you might be right about that. That might be part of the deal. But I think another part of the deal is you're not going to bring up all the, the child abuse issues. Yeah, it's not like he's a pedophile or a pederast or has human hunting parties. You know what I mean? This is good old-fashioned 
uh, you know, casting couch stuff. There's, there's, there's beauty in that. I remember a, uh, uh, and someone emailed me or commented I'm on one of my websites or whatever, when Trump, uh, I th- maybe it was the, the pussy tape or something else. Oh, I think it was maybe his cheating on Ivanka with Marla Maples. I don't know what. And somebody who considers himself, you know, on the right side of politics for reasons of morals and virtues said, this is a red-blooded male. You can't begrudge him his natural instincts. This is something we should have more of these days. I'm like, okay. So you know what I'm saying? Like there's some virility in an old man chasing skirts, I guess. Right. I got you. Somebody like Harvey Weinstein would rather go down as a dirty old man than say, hypothetically, I don't know, a child abuser. Not saying that that's the case, just saying hypothetically. And if he can make some money on a business that might be failing right now, why not? All right, let's get back to these uh, Lombardo clips. All right, you see this? Before he makes his next statement, he takes his right hand up and he plays with his nose. Now, in isolation, this would be nothing. But when he frequently does stuff like this, then it's something you want to pay attention to. You want to try and figure out what triggers it, see if it's a common trigger. For example, before he says things often about Campos, he's either going or he's putting his hand to his face. Uh, To his mouth. Yeah. I mean, you could probably really get psychological and say, okay, he's uncomfortable with his own mouth. Yeah, totally. There is something to that. When we perceive something as a threat, like a question that we can't answer because we fear the consequences, it triggers those processes in our body automatically. We start to feel anxious. We start to feel worried. Our mouth becomes dry, and the blood in our body rushes from our face, and we move our hands up, and that's one of the reasons that people – that we touch our faces when we become anxious or we get nervous in certain situations. That doesn't mean that he's lying. It just means that if someone does it repeatedly – and there's a common stimulus, it just means you want to pay close attention and try to figure out what that stimulus is and investigate it further. And another reason that someone might take their hand to their face if they're lying is because it's a distancing behavior. It creates a psychological barrier between them and the person that they're not telling the truth to. And we do this automatically too. We don't even think about it. We don't realize we're doing it. And it doesn't necessarily mean that someone is lying just because they do that. It has to be a bunch of signals and you have to consider the context as well so that's why you pay attention to them but you you know you look at the context of what's going on when he's taking the lie detector test and you are giving it to him tell me more about miss stanley yeah it's spiking right there right (laughs) we have uncovered no evidence to show there was a second shooter yeah, you see that right there where he takes his hand to his nose right before he said that, and you combine it with the other information, other statements he's made. Makes me hear. We have uncovered evidence that there might be a <laughs> We have uncovered over 200 instances of the suspects traveling throughout Las Vegas, and he has never been seen with anyone else. Wait a second. That's not true because Miss Stanley, he interacted with her frequently. I've so yeah. I read so to the point where when he was losing, she would have to step away. Exactly. This isn't a clear – this is an unclear statement. This is ambiguous. It's – we have uncovered over 200 instances, and we nobody's ever seen – what is uncovered? Are those frames, and what are instances? Is it 200 frames of a one-minute video? Right, and – there were stories right around the same time he did this, like two days before, NBC, ABC, CNN, where they were reporting that investigators were still looking for a woman. This is after they already found his girlfriend. They were saying investigators were still looking for a woman that was seen with a suspect a couple of days before the shooting. So which one is it? They don't clear this up. Like if they were to clear up these contradictions, then that would help people understand, but they don't do that. So people fill in the blanks. And I want you, you see Brusso's eyes right there? Yeah. All right, now watch when he he's looks out to see if the audience is buying it. I'm going to take it back a couple of seconds. He's like, are they buying this bullshit? He's looking at him. Las Vegas, and he has never been seen with anyone else. And he, he nods his head a little bit. Yeah. That the suspect was linked. He's going, are they buying that bullshit? That is freaky. Yep. I have no evidence or intelligence that the suspect was linked or had affiliation with any known terrorist groups or ideologies. Yep. Yep. We're going with that. <laughs> hmm. uh, we have found some evidence of medications. I'm not at liberty to discuss that. All right. I'm going to take it back a second. Watch his lips. Which one? 
Lombarda. Bruce Lombarda. Liberty to discuss that. All right. I'm going to take it back again. You see what she says, can you tell us about the note? And right after she says note, he takes a deep breath and holds his breath. That's another anxiety signal. We have found some evidence of medications. I'm not at liberty to discuss that. Can you tell us about the note? Um, was that to cause damage? What note? Honey. There was not a note in the suspect's room. We recovered a document that had numbers associated to it. And I would, I'm not at liberty to make a. To call that a note. And what that was for. Did you see how he held his breath when he yeah, as as he shook it? his head? Yeah. He had this weird look on his face and he held his breath and when he answered he kinda he kinda blew it out. Yeah. yeah. It felt like he came home and his wife was saying, I found a note in your pocket <laughs> with right. women's handwriting on it. And he said, What note? <laughs> uh Honey. This is interesting. It could mean a number of things. It, it, it There's anxiety surrounding that note. The day before this press conference was a 60 Minutes interview with some of the police officers that were on the scene. And one of the police officers said, we found a note, and on that note were the results of calculations. Not calculations, but the results of calculations that indicated that he was going to maximize his damage using these calculations. My opinion is they don't know that yet, and that's kind of what he expresses here. Because he says he can't comment on it, even though they were commenting on it before. I'm at my mom's house. I just helped her clean out like all her papers and stuff in her drawers. I cannot tell you how many pieces of paper there are with like random numbers that mean absolutely they're not even phone numbers. They're just completely weirdo numbers on like torn up envelopes and stuff. And it's because she's a gambler. Oh yeah, it could have been gambling numbers. You're right. He played. Yeah, I mean, she plays horses and everything. She's got notes like that everywhere, all of that. If if. She- if the cops thought that was relevant, they would really seriously have to investigate her death for five years. Yeah, your mom has calculations all over the house. Of of the trajectory of gunfire from the 32nd floor. What's no, it's- interesting to me is that he said what note, and then he said there was no note, and he, he distinguished it between a document. At first, I'm like, he's talking about the same thing, and he does go on to indicate that he might be talking about the same thing. But then I started thinking about it. I looked at that picture again. You see that picture of the note on the table. You see the pen there. Now, the pen, that was not a hotel pen. It didn't look like a hotel pen to me. It looked like one of those fat, thick pens that people who write a lot use because regular pens, I write a lot. I use pen and pad to write a lot. They wear your fingers out if you get a hard pen. You get those soft pens, and it's easier on your fingers. As someone who's older, he might have some sort of arthritis, and he might need one of those big, thicker pens. That makes me think that he writes a whole bunch of things. I mean the guy, he was a ghost pretty much. He didn't do a lot of things online which would you know, line up with that. And then you look at that pad, and you want to know, well, where did that pad come from? Did he bring that pad, or was that pad from the hotel? Is that the only sheet of paper he used on the pad? Probably not. There was probably a bunch of other notes outside of the frame of that picture that were found in that hotel. That might be why he had so much anxiety surrounding that question. So if Officer Campos or Security Guard Campos was shot... So the journalist asked about Campos. Lombardo immediately licks his lips. Is it causal? I don't know. If you're listening, watch the video. Watch it yourself. Watch the entire thing. Look at the other triggers. You want to look and see if every time he hears that name... He does something like he goes to his face or he licks his lips or he does some sort of anxious move. Then that means you want to investigate it a little bit further because it means he might not be telling the full truth. At nine, just before 10 o'clock, and the shot's out the window. As, as you described, then there were. Okay, so in the span of about 15 seconds here after the journalist says compost, he licks his lips, he flutters his eyes, basically closing them at one point, and then he goes to his face. I mean, it's setting off all kind of alarms here. There's something that isn't being revealed about Campos. And we find out right after this that the timeline had changed. And since a few minutes ago, we heard Ellen and Campos say that the gun was going off when he got up there, that it sounded like a drill. Then that contradicts the new story that Lombardo is about to tell here. So let me let me help you with that, Ken, because you picked up on it. Yes, the timeline associated with the original shot and Mr. Campos has changed. So what we just heard from Campos is after this. Yeah. So who knows what the timeline is now? In his press conference on, I think it was Saturday or maybe Friday, Lombardo tried to tighten up that timeline a little bit. He still said that Campos was shot before the shooter started shooting 
you know, outward of the crowd. So that still contradicts what Campos said. But he was trying to tighten it up a little. I don't know if he was anticipating this. All right. I got one more clip. Lombardo was asked about whether or not the suspect had an escape plan. Uh, you have said earlier you believe he had a, an escape plan. Do you still think that? Yeah, I mean, that's been a, a matter of discussion out there, whether what I said is accurate or not. And what I am comfortable with saying is what is what I believe. Uh, Mr. Campos, um, or not Mr. Campos, I'm sorry, uh, the suspect. I don't want to say the suspect's name. I will call him the suspect. Mr. Campos, I mean, the suspect, Mr. Campos is clearly on the front of his brain. I mean, this guy is preoccupied with Mr. Campos. To respond to a question about whether or not the suspect had an escape plan with Mr. Campos, that means you are preoccupied. Right, because Mr. Campos is the one he's memorizing. Oh, right, exactly. And then, yeah, then he won't say the suspect's name. Now, he has said the suspect's name almost begrudgingly at times, but he says suspect a lot, which makes me think that they're not certain that the guy dead or that the guy who did the shooting yes. was it. Because it's easy. If he says suspect, he's not lying. Yeah. If he says Paddock or Paddock, however you say his name, yeah. then he's potentially lying. There's something funny about um, it for sure. Did you see the video of him like right after the shooting where he – He's basically saying that he had to have help. The only way that he couldn't have had help is if the person who did this was some sort of superhuman. That was Lombardo? Yeah, that was Lombardo. Hmm. No, but I mean, it was so obvious from the beginning that this was not a uh, one-man job. And it's all over YouTube, these analyses that prove it's more than one shooter. I mean, this is something that is clearly being allowed to pervade people's thoughts. I mean, this is one event where I knew if I got on WSB and said, I don't believe the official story, I don't think this guy did it single-handedly, that absolutely nobody would say, where's your tinfoil head? Blah, 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 like they usually say. Yeah. For some reason, it's okay to think that about this. Yeah, you're right. That's interesting. It's usually not okay. So I think there's a third element of this that we haven't discovered yet. The media issue, which is the First Amendment, they're going to regulate that. The second thing is what the the phrase I coined, I cannot tell you how much feedback I got when I coined the phrase resistance-grade weaponry, that they only want to take away stuff that we could use to actually resist the government. They want us to keep our handguns so that they can mow us down, but they don't want us to have body armor or guns that could mow them down. So uh, that's the second element. But I think there's a third agenda at work here, and I, I don't know what it is yet. This is why we need public trials of all suspects of violence, living or dead, Every single time, or you have to consider it an open case because they will mess with the narrative to serve their political purposes. They'll let things happen on purpose. They'll kill suspects uh, with a hair trigger just to make sure that the truth doesn't come out or they don't have to investigate it, they don't have to prove it, or they don't have to catch the second guy or, you know, whatever. Anybody who gets shot, there's th how many murders a year in this country? How many? gun homicides 13,000 is it gun homicides they you could find a gun gun numerous gun homicides every single day and if you didn't ever have to prove that what you're saying about it is true you can use it for anything you can make a you could list 10 different narratives and apply them to 10 different shootings every week every day of the week yeah and that's what they do you're right they do need to publicly try them, but that would make it a lot more difficult for them to pull off their little schemes i don't even believe in plea bargains I don't think you should be able to plea bargain. Seriously. Yeah. Then eliminate the drug war. Eliminate prostitution as something that they have to try because plea bargains get them to entrap you. So you can you do one thing and they say, okay, we're going to try you for that one thing that you did under 10 different laws, each of which carries a life sentence, and we're going to ask for it to be consecutive. We know you didn't do it, but if you plead to this, at least you know you won't get 10 consecutive life sentences. That guy. Because that's that's what they did to Tommy Chong. They said, we know you did not commit this crime. However, if you plea to it, we will not prosecute your wife and son. 
and we won't give you a 99-year sentence. So like John DeLorean was entrapped, and he beat that because he was entrapped. Do you remember that story? No. His motor company, he was a Ford, he was a Ford designer, if I remember the story correctly. And he started DeLorean Motor Company, which was amazing. It was really an encroachment on the oligopoly of American motor manufacturers. And it was successful. And then they, I think they were really pulling funny business to get him to circle the drain. And he started to. So out of desperation, some government agent went to him with a, a Coke deal where it was just a no brainer, tons and tons of money that he could use to save his company. And he, and he fell for it and they arrested him. The company folded, whatever, but he fought the charges based on entrapment and he won. And I'm saying that I don't believe that would ever happen today, that they would entrap you and then set up. So, Cause that's what they did to Tommy Chong's son. They entrapped him to the hilt. And in my opinion, he should have been able to win that case against them but they, they threaten you with such an astronomical punishment that even if you are innocent, you are going to plead to it to, to, because you just can't take the chance, the one in a thousand chance that you're going to go to jail or get the chair. So I even think the plea bargaining system is grossly abused and shouldn't be allowed and that we shouldn't consider criminal actions anything that isn't a, a commission of violence against person or property. It shouldn't yeah. be criminal. You shouldn't be able to go to jail for prostitution or drugs or any of that. And the FBI half the time are in these chat rooms and forums under the guise of trying to catch terrorists, radicalizing them. I mean that's, that's one of the questions you got to ask when someone gets radicalized. Was, was it a, an FBI informant who radicalized them? Because if you look into some of these cases and, and you realize that – the FBI informant that outed the person that, that they ended up arresting was the same person who radicalized them. It starts to make you wonder. Did you ever read that New York Times article or see the Judge Napolitano video? That was basically his the last thing on he was he had a show on Fox, the Libertarian uh, Judge Andrew Napolitano had a show on Fox, which was canceled shortly after he made a video, which. Uh, echoed basically an article in the New York Times that that was called FBI uh, terrorist plots hatched by the FBI, and it said how eleven out of twelve of the uh, of the FBI plots that that of the last FBI busts had been uh, exactly that radicalized by the FBI. They were setting them up to knock them down and getting credit for it and getting more resources for it and also putting people in danger. And then you look at somebody like Timothy McVeigh who wrote a letter to his sister that he didn't really drop out of the army or get kicked out. He was tapped for a secret special operation. And then you go further back and see that those kind of like white supremacist groups and the FBI, uh, the Ku Klux Klan was so infiltrated by the FBI that at one point, one or two out of every three members was an FBI agent. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, I've looked into all that stuff, and I don't think there's any disputing it. No, there's not. So, I mean, they admit it, and then they put these people in jail. I just personally think that by not having trials, we don't get truth that we need. I think it's wrong and unjust for the people who are entrapped by it or killed uh, in the alleged commission of a crime that never gets proven. But I, the, but the, my real point is that. Truth is really important, and false flags are not truth. And that, and that, when you need to understand your, you need to judge your principles. You need to judge the law, which is based on thousands of years of human civilization. You need to judge all that by the truth, by true human nature, by how people really act. Our principles, our black and white principles about stealing and killing and everything else, are based on on this truth about human nature, whether it's a reflection of God or a reflection of the forces of life on earth, that's what it's truth. And so what you need is these trials. You need public trials so that you can see how people really act. I mean, I asked the question at the beginning of the show, how, how come there are so many more uh, of these shootings now than there ever were? Why are they here? Why are they now? You would have some answers if we if we were uh, if the facts were clear and in evidence and none of the facts are in evidence none of them nothing these people say uh the, even if they weren't lying through their teeth obviously 
you there's we have courts of law because we know facts need to be proven. People will say things or misremember things or whatever. Evidence is important and it helps us inform ourselves. And, and we're not getting that anymore. And we're gonna we're gonna restructure the world. Like Chertoff said, we need to rethink our our legal foundations. That's only true if we really have changed, if the world really has changed in such a fundamental way that human nature itself has changed. I don't believe it. And I and there's nothing in evidence to support these claims, only this kind of uh propaganda. Truth is only allowed to come out if that truth supports the agenda that's being pushed then they'll happily tell the truth when the truth yeah they want to because it shores up their body of lies exactly that's and that's an important fact because it's not black and white it's not always lie they tell the truth the the truth comes out quite a bit when it fits the narrative there's two cases when it's mostly lies and the rest it's mostly truths in my opinion one is these mass, mass casualty events the terrorists you know all these false flags that's mostly lie and then when they tell you about foreign – the war is foreign policy, North Korea, Syria, stuff like that, that's mostly lies. But everything else I would say is mostly truths. Yeah, they – I'm talking about the Wall Street Journal. When I'm reading the Wall Street Journal, I would say the article is 90% lie, 10% truth when it's about a mass casualty event or the need for war. And then it's 90% truth, 10% lie, like basically the rest of the time. Right, and I think right now the breaking news we get is 100% rumor right now, and it's reported as though it's fact, but it's 100% rumor. That's the thing. The The mainstream media, they'll report rumor all day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All day they'll report rumor as though it's truth, and then when what they initially reported is proven to be wrong, they just ah, – eh, we made a mistake, but everybody else is fake news. Right, because we made a mistake in good faith within the confines of the paradigm. Like this is acceptable behavior, but I have to say – I know I've said this before, but when, the moment that it really jumped the shark for me when breaking news really jumped the shark was recently when I heard like on a real show on Fox in the morning, them going back and forth about whether or not Rex Tillerson called Trump a moron. That was the story of the week. <laughs> and my kids are like, mom, let's listen to some music. And I'm like, I have to listen to the news. You don't think I want to, do you? <laughs> Yeah, it was a week-long farce of panel discussions and bad late-night jokes about how Tillerson called Trump a moron. It all culminated with that show State of the Union hosted by Jake Tapper, you know, my favorite. So Tapper has an interview with Tillerson who has a really important job. All the questions you could really ask him, what does Tapper drill home in most of the interview? Did you call him a moron? He spent half the freaking interview trying to get him to admit he called him a moron. Did, it just, it's really disconcerting that, sh- that you won't give us a direct answer on whether or not you called the president a moron. And I'm going, this is unbelievable. This, this show is called State of the Union. The Secretary of State. The Secretary of State. <laughs> you could ask him all kinds of important questions, and he's utterly obsessed with trying to get him to admit he called Trump a moron. I turned the news off that day, so I didn't see anything else after that. Like, I did not know that it was just round-the-clock coverage on that. Yeah, round-the-clock coverage on that. And then I look at a guy like Rex Tillerson, who had a real job. Granted, he always pays lip service to the environmental stuff and the Boy Scout thing and all that crap. Obviously, a politician to the core. But then you see him playing this game, playing this role, reluctantly or purposely. I don't know, whatever. And you just wonder, when he goes home and he looks as, like, 400 you know million or billion dollar self i don't even know it's probably 400 it's 400 million he just had like a 400 million dollar uh (laughs) liquidity event something like that you know he he used to look at himself with self-respect like i run this huge company everybody respects me and and like you think it would be it's for me it'd be worse to be rex tillerson look myself in the mirror just think can't believe like like my contribution to the world today is a debate about whether I call this guy a moron or not. I mean, I almost feel like Harvey Weinstein can look himself in the mirror and just be like, hey, man, you know, chasing skirts isn't that bad. <laughs> I'd rather have this story than that one. Yeah. Yeah. But it's yep. just so demeaning. You know, like, how is that something that you, as Secretary of State, I mean, he should have said to him, look, buddy, this is not important. He could have set his balls on the table, and it would have been more intellectually stimulating. <laughs> that would have been interesting. That would, I wonder what Tapper would have done about that. Are you sitting your balls on the table? Is that a yes? Are you saying yes? <laughs>
All right. I think we're running low on time, and that feels like a pretty good stopping point. So thank you, Monica. Thank you, everybody who's listening, for exploring some of the intricacies of this Las Vegas cover-up or psyop or whatever you want to call it with me. I'm Brad Binkley, and I've been here with Monica Perez, and you've been listening to the Propaganda Report podcast. Be sure and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or whatever platform it is that you use. Check us out on YouTube, youtube.com backslash Monica Perez, youtube.com backslash Brad Binkley. Join the conversation on Twitter at Monica Perez Show at Freedom Act Radio. And if you want to get show notes for this show with links, images, and videos, check out our website at propagandareportdaily.com. And we'll see you next time on the Propaganda Report. Stand. Have you had enough? The wire tag.